Today on Movie Wallows, we talk about Free Guy, The Starling, and Lamb. It's time for Movie Wallace. Hi, this is Joe. Hi, it's Rashmi. And yesterday as well. Movie Wallace is your weekly dose of film reviews, movie news, and general banter in theatres, on DVD, online streaming, or in the back of an airplane. If you love the movies, this show is for you. Hello, hello. Greetings, all. Hi there. Back together, physically Yay. together recording. Sorry about the last couple of episodes where uh, I think I, I blame Apple's FaceTime. Not Joe. No, no, I had nothing to do with the the lack of sound quality on Yazdi's voice in particular. It was it, fine. It was fine, but it was like... Robotic. Well, yeah, to remind it to me to use Skype. Skype seems to do a better job of, of voice than FaceTime. But, but anyway. it's always nice to be together. And that's also, well, it's mainly... And it's always the best being at Yazdi's because, again, he has the best snacks. It's the snacks. It's all about it's the not, snacks. It's all about the snacks. <coughs> It's all about the snacks, the snacks, the <laughs> snacks. <laughs> They're so good. So today we have homemade chocolate covered biscotti, mm-hmm. peaches, and this, what are these delicious nuts? <laughs> these are uh, garlic, parmesan, cashew nuts. Yum. Yeah, they're on sale at Sprouts for those in, in San Diego. <laughs> like our local farmers. Yeah. Farmer's market yeah. shop. Yeah. Yeah, I, it was garlic. <clears throat> I was trying to think of what's that flavor? What's the, yeah, Joe's amazing palate. <clears throat> oh, yeah, it's very good. Anyway, garlic, garlic, parmesan. I would never think to put I garlic would. and parmesan on a nut. But right. there we go. Pasta, maybe, but yeah. Yeah. Nut, yeah. But the biscotti, the biscotti, Yazdi, they're inspired. Is, they're that re- is that a recipe? Yes, that's the New York Times recipe. Um, but I improvised a little bit, but I, I'm in no hurry to make them again. It's just too messy. I think I messed something up with the recipe, but it was just like working with uh, goop. <laughs> Tastes not goop. They Tastes were really very good. good. Did you take a picture of them, Rashmi? No, because there's hardly any left I now. Think, I think it's your job to take the picture this time and Instagram it. Okay. So while she's doing that, I guess... Um, we have three movies to talk about, but um, did we want to talk about some Netflix picks or things we've been watching? Yay! A bit of a chit-chat before we get into our reviews. Yes, I've been hearing that people... Uh, a few of our listeners have uh, told us that they were missing our recommendations for Netflix, so off we go. So who wants to go first? Oh, well, I'm not ready with one, so you guys better start. Okay, I'll, I'll go first. Yeah, Yazdi, you've got a few good ones. I'm, I'm going to uh, recommend what is... A quite obvious one, which is Squid Game, which is on track or already is now the most watched show on Netflix, which just blows my mind because it just, they dropped it like two weeks ago. I know. It's crazy because you just told us maybe two weeks ago, Yazdi, that Mm -hmm. you guys, have you seen um, Squid Squid Game? And we were like, no, and we just haven't got around to it. Yeah, and already it's the number one show. Yeah. And there are Halloween costumes. Yes. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. interesting. So tell us about it. It's kind of a cross between uh, Parasite from last year and Battle Royale. 
Do you remember Joe Battle yeah, Royale yeah, was that. the Japanese film about these kids who are essentially um, made to play games to the death. Whereas, Very Hunger Games like before right. Hunger Games. And so Hunger Games was yeah definitely inspired by uh, by Battle Royale. But it's I my only recommendation is that the first episode might be slow on the uptake, but once you're about halfway through the first episode. It just gets its claws on you, and then it's very difficult to get away. It's very violent, <clears throat> and, you know, the deaths are brutal. But I wasn't there for the, you know, for interesting ways people can die kind of thing. I was more interested by how layered the whole thing is. It's kind of like an onion. It's slowly being peeled, and it's very well written. And you kind of get to know these characters. Um, they're all playing this game to the death. And, you know, this group of about eight or ten people, kind of the good guys and the bad guys, they kind of endear yourself to you. And to the extent that it really hurt me when one of them was eliminated. I'm like, no, not this person or whatever. Wow. And I don't want to give too much away, but the scope of the... It's a 10, 10 episode series. They're all one hour long, except the ninth one, which is only 30 minutes long. Um, and you've completed it. I've completed it. Um, what I was saying is it's the scope of the whole thing exceeds beyond the games. So it has, you think that when the games end that the series would end, but no, it goes beyond that. And it's that thing we've talked about many times. It's that trifecta of great acting, great writing and great directing. Um, uh, and it's in Korean it is in Korean and there's an English dubbed version and then there's a subtitle version and already there's a lot of uh, complaints from native Korean speakers that uh, both the subtitles and the dubbed versions don't fully convey but how could they? Yeah and I actually heard something that if you're going to watch it watch it with English subtitles not closed caption because closed caption is an Americanized version of the subtitles, whereas if you use the English subtitles, it's a little better. Interesting. Yeah. Which I never knew. Yeah. Great. So that's definitely on our list. Yeah. It's, yeah. There's a lot of commentary like Parasite did on, you know, the wealthy and, you know, the haves versus the have-nots, about race, about women versus men. There's a character of Indian origin who lives in Korea and he's part of the people here and it's interesting to see that even within the Asian geography there is classism within there the Indian guy is a lower class than the Koreans and so it's really very very well written and very beautifully constructed yeah Yeah. wow we'll definitely have to watch that Joe I might start watching it without you yeah well go ahead yeah I mean I'm this time of year is just so busy with movies and things. I hate to be the one. The rate limiting step. Well, I have in my to do. enjoyment of watching. I things. have pottering about the house to do. There's there's <laughs> like uh, cars to be washed and files to be scanned and organisation and general. It's a good job eye rolling doesn't have noise associated <laughs> with it. That's all I have to say. Um, okay, so my pick is, and I ripped through this one probably about two months ago when it first came out. I just I'm very interested in any 
any religion type show. And so I found this show called My Unorthodox Life. Mm-hmm. And it's basically the personal and professional life of a fashion mogul called Julia Hart. And she was actually a former member of an ultra Orthodox Jewish community in um, New York State. Um, and she became the CEO of Elite World Group. And if you remember, Elite Models. Um, is a part of this company. And that's where most of the very famous models, it's their agency. And so that interested me. And then um, just anyone who escapes religion or anyone who embraces religion is just so fascinating to me. Um, This is a, a, a very interesting peek behind the curtain. I mean, of course, a lot of this is good TV. It's about her and her family And she has four children and her children are in varying stages of um, embracing non-Orthodox life. And so that's interesting from that perspective, as well as um, just her own life and how she escaped um, a life that she was destined to have. So uh, again, it's, um, I think it's about I think I can't remember how many episodes it is, but it's a good maybe six, seven, eight episodes and they're all varying length and it's very interesting and interesting characters. And I shouldn't say characters. These are actually real people with real lives. So is this a documentary or it's a scripted show? It's a reality show. Oh, okay. It's a reality show, but it's, and it's, you know, glitzy and glamorous and she's got a very glamorous life. And um, she's a very interesting character herself because she's, basically broken free, but it's also about her reaching back into her community and trying to help those that she perceives need help. Hmm. But it's just super interesting. I made, I made Joe watch one part of one about her young son and just how influenced and how she deals with that because she's come through the other end of this, you know, <laughs> discarding religion in a sense, not discarding religion, but discarding orthodoxy. Um, and yet her son, who's young and impressionable, um, is embracing it. So it's really interesting discussions that occur. I originally had it confused with another show called Just Unorthodox, which came Correct. out a couple of months, few months ago. Yeah. It came out during quarantine, like mm. last year, actually, Asdi. Mm. Yeah, Unorthodox was a great narrative based on a real woman who had escaped the same, same similar community. Hmm. Yeah, My Unorthodox Life, and it's available on Netflix. Excellent. Okay. And in the absence of any preparation for this segment, um, I'm going to recommend the last thing that Rashmi and I watched on Netflix, which was Britney versus Spears, which, um, you know, lover or hater, you can't ignore her, right? You have Britney Spears. Uh, Everyone knows who she is, and she was America's sweetheart for such a long time. And, um, over the past few months, I've become aware, and I'm sure people who are more plugged into pop culture than, than I would, would know more about this, but she's been under the, uh, for the last decade or so, she's been under a conservatorship, uh, which basically means that um, her father in particular, and, and maybe one other um, person, has been more in control of her life than she is. So she can't sign checks, she can't make decisions about her health care, um, all of her earnings, etc. Um, so... Again, we've seen a couple of things about this, um, and this Britney versus Spears is done by a couple of journalists that followed Britney Spears during the earlier part of her career, um, 
and you know they they kind of recognized at some point that she she may have been in a situation where she um you know was you know making a plea for help because of the situation but was very constrained about it so uh, it was actually a very well put together um telling of a what this conservatorship was for meant for her in her kind of daily life um and you know kind of what there's this kind of there's this dark undertone to it all where the idea of these things is that they're supposed to be benevolent you know somebody's capable of doing themselves harm um you know by making decisions with with which they're not capable mentally to do that um you know a conservatorship is supposed to be a protective state where you <clears throat> stop somebody making themselves bankrupt or making horrible healthcare decisions uh but there's definitely this sense that um this whole setup was intended to enrich many of those people who were um in control of it and there were many people including the lawyer that was supposed to represent Miss Spears uh, who was collecting 3 million dollars a year um by effectively keeping her within this this whole thing so fascinating story not one that i knew a lot of detail about and just a good general watch if you have um you know any passing interest in britney spears um i i really enjoyed it it's very timely because i think uh, there's just news that uh, her father has officially stepped away from the That's conservatorship right. what amazes me is there's this has triggered a lot of debate about uh, a need to change conservatorship legal legal laws in mm-hmm. the united states because they're very prone to abuse what the part i don't understand is okay somebody is a teenager like you know like britney spears was or like uh, you know any number of child stars that you put them in a conservatorship but once you're 21 why doesn't the conservatorship end at that point once you become of legal age of making your own decisions she's in her 40s now and still being controlled by her father and her lawyer and that well, just seems so effed up It, I mean that that's the whole crux of this thing. I mean there was a time when Britney appeared to be unhinged and so mm-hmm. she was put into this conservatorship as an adult. So they were concerned that she was um endangering herself, endangering her family. Um you know there was this whole storm around. Remember there was the press mm-hmm. was after her constantly, right? So the, is she a good mother and there was a big custody dispute with her, her and her ex-husband again. I'm not saying I intimately familiar with the details but i think everyone who you know would have watched um any kind of news at the time was was aware of this kind of craziness so she was pulled into it against her will um on the basis by the courts uh, by a judgment by the courts where um essentially she was ruled as mentally unfit to be in charge of her own affairs and yet at the same time she was writing records performing tours you know doing concerts um you know she's historically been in control of her business affairs you know but there was this sense that she was unraveling so again i think if somebody's in that situation a conservatorship could rescue them from themselves um in this yeah. particular case i think um that may have been a case for a time but they've held her in this status for over a decade Yeah, and conservatorships are pretty sinister things and if you remember yesterday you and I watched that great movie called I Care a Lot mm-hmm. um with Rosamund Pike which is about conservatorships and the abuse of them so to speak um yeah. it's about that film is about a lot more a lot more batshit crazy and it's a great movie. It's a great um, movie. People but, 
watch. Yeah, I yeah. We've a done a previous review on it, but it's what it reminded me of: just the sinister nature of um, conservatorships. <laughs> okay. So, again, let's recap. Um, Britney versus Spears. Yazdi, your pick was? Squid Game. And Rashmi? My Unorthodox Life. Awesome. All right. Let's get into our reviews. We're 15 minutes into a podcast that we haven't discussed a single thing about the movies we're going to talk about. So let's tackle them in the order that we said at the beginning, which is let's start with Free Guy. So, Rashmi, can you give us the background? Yeah, absolutely. So, only Yazdi's seen this and he's been urging Joe to watch this one Mm -hmm. because, um, as we all know, Joe is a gamer and um, this is about... um, He's a player. He's a player. Um, Gamer. Two very, very (laughs) different different things, yes. (laughs) You could be both. (laughs) I I could be. Yazdi, I would divorce him. I was going to say, there would be heavy objects being hurled in my direction by Rashmi if I was the latter. So, so in Free Guy, a bank teller discovers that he's actually a background player in an open world video game. And he decides to become the hero of his own story, one that he writes himself. So now in a world where there are no limits, he is determined to be the guy who saves his world his way before it's too late. Um, so this is a PG-13. Um, it's directed by Sean Levy and it's... Um, Stars Ryan Reynolds, one of my favorites, Jodie Comer, um, Joe Keery, Lil Rel Howery, who I loved in um, Get Out, um, Urtkash Ambudka, and Taika Waititi, who I also love. So this has an amazing cast. And uh, I think, um, <clears throat> Yazdi, tell us why we have to rush out and see this one, because I know you've and been urging, urging, urging. This is live action, right? It's not Joe's watch this. Okay. Correct. <clears throat> Um, this movie, by the way, has been in cinemas now for four weeks, I think. And it's done remarkably well. It has, you know, most movies kind of peter out, um, you know, after opening weekend. And this movie has been doing gangbusters. And I think it's because um, people play more video games than I do, I presume. Because the whole, <laughs> the whole movie is set within a video game. And... Bless his heart. Ryan Reynolds is so good at this. He could, I can't think of somebody else playing this because it needs this kind of self-aware, Deadpoolish kind of person who is almost, um, you know, insistently nice and clean and slowly as, as realization dawns on him, he starts becoming more and more cynical about the environment he is in. Um, there's there's so much in this movie i think <clears throat> that completely missed me there are characters there are animated you know players who come up which i'm sure there are references to other video games movies and there is a lot of terminology that video gamers use which was which was again lost on me but even as somebody who is not an avid video game player i kind of enjoyed it because it's At the end of the day, it's kind of a thriller about what's going to happen to this guy. Um, And also, it's pretty entertaining. So I think if you are a video gamer, you're going to get only that much more out of it. My two complaints about the movie is it does get very repetitive. So again, it's meant to evoke that video game environment and it got a little tiresome for me towards the end. And then the second thing is, and I'm sure this is intentional, is 
I think if there is any such thing as too much CGI, then this film demonstrates that. I mean, you need to freeze every frame on that and look at, there's like a hundred things happening at any given time. It's overproduced. It feels mm. overproduced. There's so much CGI. Like every time he steps into a particular street of the game that he's in, there's like things exploding, people jumping out, somebody's talking, a car is whizzing by. There's It's so frenetic. It's so overpopulated that it got a little exhausting for me because I was like, what am I supposed to take away in this instant? Mm. And I eventually realized it's all meant to just be um, background, right? Right. So so it took me some while, a while to do that. Yeah. Uh, Jodie Comer is kind of fun. She gets to play two different versions of, uh, you know, she gets to play a very expert coder who has kind of figured something out about this game and she also has an avatar of herself in the in the game, which is super cool and, you know, too cool for school and all that. So she gets to play kind of the, the cool gun-toting female assassin. And she also gets to play kind of the, you know, the haven't slept in 10 days coder, coding person. Yeah, yeah and Jodie Comer has has really impressed me. And for all of, the, for, for all of you who don't know who she is, um, she's actually the serial killer in Killing, Killing Eve. Eve. And she's amazing. I've always been so impressed by her depth and breadth that she can play. Yeah. I mean, and sorry, and the movie has some remarkable, remarkable cameos in it. I, I won't ruin it, but I was like, oh my God, this person is here. Oh my <laughs> God. I mean, and I'm like, at some point, Ryan Reynolds must have just opened his phone and like, okay, just scrolled through it. Who can I call for this? Who can I call for that? So there's the fun in that. He definitely makes fun of his own persona. Um, it's cute, I guess. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's enjoyable. So to, to me, it, it kind of sounds like a live action Wreck-It Ralph. I mean, Wreck-It Ralph is a similar premise, right? It's a video game character who, you know, I guess is, is kind of conscious within the, the world and goes on, the, on an adventure. Is there any anything to I think this is compare? far more... Uh, it, it's Wreck-It Ralph on speed. This one is just, things are happening constantly. I mean, it's it's just, it, it's a whole other level. It's okay. a whole other level of consciousness. And I think at the end of the, I, I don't want to ruin anything, but there is this sweet friendship between him and the character played by Lil Ray Howery, who plays the security guard in the bank where he's working. And, you know, that sweetness kind of ultimately is what carries the whole movie through. Mm-hmm. So there's lots lots to recommend about this. I would give it a six and a half out of ten and then seven just because it's done really well. And obviously I'm in the minority to not, <clears throat> you know, not be completely in love with the movie. Yeah. No, I mean, it looks kind of fun. I should qualify. I mean, when I, when I call myself a gamer, I played video games back in the day. Um these days not so much and the, the chaos that you that you speak of yes these seems to harken more towards modern video gaming where you have you know a thousand people in a mm-hmm. in a particular you know room something like a fortnight or something like that where you know people are logging in from all over the world and shooting each other constantly um those games are too chaotic i've never got into those <laughs> just because you know there's some 
12-year-old in his bedroom that's able to dedicate entire weeks to learning the craft of the game and I step into the world and get shot in 30 seconds and then think, okay, well, that was not fun. And it happens again and again. But No, it sounds, sounds like fun. I, I would like to watch it. And it kind of plays very nicely, I think, with, you know, what is the consciousness of a character in a video game? Like... I love that idea. You know, like, literally, well, when you get to the edge of where you can play around in a video game, what is there? What, you know, when, when there are no more characters, when... Mm-hmm. when like you're, the Truman Show. Yeah, when you're universal. Like Toy Story, exactly. yeah. yeah. I mean, if we want to go back, I mean, remember the, the movie Tron, Disney's yes. Tron from yes. back in the day. I mean, yeah. that, that was the first time I, I saw this idea that um, characters in a video game that are effectively just code could um, break away from... Um, their the programming and start doing something different. So I love that. Matrix. I love yeah. that idea, yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And this is directed by Sean Levy, who did Night at the Museum. He did Date Night. So he's used to making, you know, reasonably high-quality entertainment films, you know, mainstream Fast films. Fast-paced, yeah. Fast he has paced. good pacing, if yeah. I remember. Yeah. Did, did he do that one by with Charlotte Copley, the first-person... Um, It'll come to me. No, maybe, no he didn't. So, no, no, no. Cool. Yeah, I know which one you mean. All right, let's move on then. Movie number two for the podcast is The Starling. So a very short little premise here uh, <clears throat> on the Rotten Tomatoes page. It's uh, a woman adjusting to life after loss contends with a feisty bird that's taken over her garden and a husband who's struggling to find a way forward. Um this movie uh, is directed by Theodore Melfi and stars Melissa McCarthy, Chris O'Dowd and Kevin Kline as um, supporting pop-ups from uh, Timothy Oliphant and a couple of other folks. So um, not a lot to its description. This movie came out on Netflix. We got to see it a few weeks ago and I think all three of us have seen it. So what do you think? Yeah, I'm surprised this one's being pooped on as much as it has been by the critics. I think it's sitting at like 21% on the tomatometer and it's been panned. I didn't find it so terrible. I actually thought it was a really brave way to deal with a very difficult topic. So it's about a couple who have lost a child. And... um. I I really liked it. I think it was good enough. I think it's, you know, Chris O'Dowd and um, Melissa McCarthy and Kevin Kline. Lovely to see him again in movies. They put their best foot forward. And I think it's the thing that irritated me most about this movie was the mechanical bird. So there's a mechanical bird that's, you know, you were talking about too much CGI, Yazdi. I think that was the the kind of part that was the most disappointing in a way. And had they just got rid of that or found another way for the grief to be expressed, then this would have been a much better movie. But overall, I didn't hate it. I thought it was okay. I hated it. <laughs> really? What? I I don't know. Maybe if I'm, I'm in another place in life, I may have more charitable opinions, but I just felt the whole thing felt inauthentic to me. It just felt, and I know it's based on a novel. Yeah. And I don't know if the novel is based on somebody's actual experience of going through this, but look, I mean, Melissa McCarthy and Chris O'Dowd are probably two of the most charming 
you know, actors we have. And to put them in a movie where they are constantly weighed down by grief, it's it's like it's like stifling them and like, can you get out of this? Can you get out of this? And it just got exhausting to me after a while. And I'm like, I understand the whole point of the movie is how do you deal with terrible grief and different people handle it differently. I, I understand that. And, you know, movies have been made with far shallower topics, but somehow this just felt like, just an attempt to kind of make you feel bad and kind of root for them. And I never really bought Chris Dowd's character at all. And I love Chris O'Dowd. I think I'm his, I'm a big champion. I think he should be a big film star. I never bought him. He just, his character was like, a, to me, it seemed like a cutout of somebody who is dealing with grief and mental health issues until he doesn't anymore, just for, for whatever reason. So, I don't know, it, it just felt like an exercise in manipulation to me. And I, I, I kind of went along with it. And then the last half hour was just excruciating. I was like, bring this train home. I can't watch this anymore. <laughs> uh, and, and yes, that, that bird really bothered me. I mean, I don't know what they were thinking. I think, I'm, I think this is based on somebody's real life experience. And they probably had that bird. But there's a lot of interaction that Melissa McCarthy's character needs to have with that bird. And so they have to use CGI. And it just felt... That bird felt really fake to me, and that kind of bothered me. Yeah, yeah, and it was too symbolic. Yeah, uh, but mean, anyway, yeah, uh, and that—that's where I was going to start. I mean, I think you know, there's a metaphorical element mm-hmm. to the bird, and the, what the bird is is um, represents in the movie, and um, I think it could have been done with a lot less bird. Um, <laughs> and so I think the decision that they took to feature um, this bird so heavily in scenes i mean you know i think it it could have been handled instead of showing her being attacked by a bird she could have come into the house and say i was just attacked by a bird you know something that would have been more believable because yeah it the the plausibility point of that but i mean i think that's your criticism yesterday, I think it aligns with the way most of the world feels i'm kind of more with rashmi here i didn't hate this movie at all i think so the tomorrow meter score for for viewers is like 80% and for critics it's 21%. So there's really a disconnect here. Yeah. And I think it dip, it's weird where you sit on that. I mean, I had no expectations going in. I mean, I think, um, you know, I, I like Melissa McCarthy as a serious actor. Um, you know, in, in some ways, you know, her her doing a bad serious movie is better than her doing a bad funny movie. Um, and I, I find her very believable um i bought into its premise i mean yeah the bird was kind of silly and annoying um you know would i put this up um for an academy award probably not um but you know would i put it up for one of those um you know like joke razzies razzie awards no i mean it it was it was absolutely fine and to me it just felt like a a very gentle movie to watch on an evening it's the middle of the week you don't really want to watch anything that's too taxing um, it tells its story well. And yeah, you know, was I moved? No. <laughs> um, were there any tears? No. Um, should there have been? Yes. Um, yeah, a movie failed, but it it wasn't horrible. Yeah, I don't think it's horrible. But I... I... <laughs> yeah, it feels, it feels tonally inconsistent as a theme, right? So I think there are ways to handle these difficult topics and we've seen many of them done before but i think it's it's being throwaway at times and it's being um very deep and angry and 
um, grief stricken most of the time. And so I think um, some of the comedic elements come with the bird. That's why it might be important. Um, but again, I think less, less bird would have been better as well. I think maybe some critic expectations came from, I mean, this is the director of Hidden Figures and St. Vincent, Vincent yeah. um, as well. And so I'm, I'm guessing that, you know, maybe expectations are a little higher because, you know, both of those movies worked well. I didn't love St. Vincent, but Hidden Figures was, yeah. was very good. I also, I, I think you might be onto something, Rashmi, is I think they were trying this tone of trying to walk this line between it being charming and funny even in a, in a particular way, especially in the way that Melissa McCarthy handles this, this terrible tragedy versus how her husband handles it. But it's very difficult to walk that line. Um, like there's the scene which that really bothered me. There's a scene where, you know, she's kind of lost it. She's not lost it, but she, clearly she's not handling the grief well. And she has, you know, she works at a grocery store and she has put labels of five cents on every item there and people are rushing and buying things and her manager just comes and says, oh, you should take the day off. I'm like, no, I'm sure. It's, uh, it, it, that just felt like such a hallmark moment. It's like in the real world, somebody would have kicked that person out and screamed and, you know, it just felt... Anyway, it, I mean, I, I, when I think of grief, I think of the movie Blue with Juliette Binoche, which came out, gosh, 20, 25 years ago. It's part of the Blue White Red trilogy, and that movie is about a woman dealing with the death of her kids and husband. And that to me felt like just at the heart of what grief is like. That whole movie is just about her dealing with the grief of this. And that movie, I never doubted its authenticity. This one just, I don't know, it felt very Meh. manufactured. I mean, it's it, it, good intentions, and Melissa McCarthy is brilliant, bless her heart. Chris O'Dowd, I. I, I think he's the wrong actor for that role, but... Yeah, I mean, Yazdi, it's a good point you make. There was a great movie last year. It came out right at the end of last year for award consideration. It was called Land, and it was uh, oh, Robin yeah. Wright's directorial debut about her also losing her husband and child, I think. Um, I think there are two options you have, right? I think there's that very serious little dialogue reflective type movie that you can make and this is not what they were going for so I think that's why they're kind of being pooped on and you can't make a comedy about it either it's such a sensitive topic that you can't make comedy about this so I think there's some black comedy in here that you want to try and address you know there's there's this thing about moving on and I wonder if a movie where they had swapped those roles where maybe Melissa McCarthy had done the Chris mm. O'Dowd role and and Chris O'Dowd had been the the Melissa McCarthy, whether that would have been a better movie, but the fact that we see Melissa McCarthy here and we expect her to be funny, um, but she's not quite funny. She's doing this kind of hybrid, kind of played played against the movie. I I mean I can sum this one up. Um, yeah, it, it it it's not. It's not. I don't think it merits the twenty-one percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, I would definitely give this one. This is a solid six for me. Yes, D. Yeah, I mean, I think it's worth your time. Uh, so I give it five out of ten. But it maybe maybe I expected so much more because of these actors and you know. At one point, I remember at the start of the year, it was on the list of 
Oscar buzz, like, you know, this, oh, wow. you know, so uh, sight unseen, right? People sure. are just, you know, thinking. So it kind of felt like a disappointment. And I think the whole Kevin Klein character, I love Kevin Klein and I don't see him enough in movies, but that was such a construct, right? He's this person who helps her get over this. And I know in, in the real world that happens, but there, it, it felt a little manufactured to me. Mm. But it's it's worthwhile, five out of 10. It's not it's not the worst movie ever made or, or even this year. It's not deserving of the 21% on Tomato Meter. Okay. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I think, Yazdi, you started your review by saying it's inauthentic and manipulative. And I think it's guilty of as charged of both of those things. But again... The movie isn't offensive. I think mm-hmm. it, it, there's an earnestness about it. They do try and 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 get you there, even though they don't. So I'll give it a generous six as well. I I I, I liked it enough. I mean, I would tell it. I would I would happily recommend people uh, spend an evening watching this. Uh, just keep your expectations in check. All right. And I'm all for Melissa McCarthy in a non-funny role. Uh, she was in uh, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Oh, no, she's brilliant as a and serious... she was also uh, in that... Uh, what was that movie with Mafia Wives with Tiffany Haddish uh, and Elizabeth Moss? I'm forgetting. But anyway, they played Mafia Mafia Wives and uh, yeah, very no, serious she's, she's role. She was good. Yeah. Okay. Final, the finale of our podcast is the movie Lamb. So, Yazdi, I think... You're going to give us a quick quick intro? I will. <clears throat> so Vladimir Johansson, who is from Iceland, um, makes his directorial and writing debut with the movie Lamb. And uh, the one line or the two line summary of the movie is a childless couple, Maria and Ingvar, discover a mysterious newborn on their farm in Iceland. The unexpected prospect of family life brings them much joy before ultimately destroying them. Uh, The movie uh, is being released by A24, which is a prestige distribution company, and they almost never go wrong in in my mind. Um, And uh, we can talk about how the movie is being marketed, but um, the cast of the movie is uh, Numi Rapis, Hilmir Snare Guanison, and Bjorn Hilner Haraldsson. I'm so glad I didn't have the intro for this one. (laughs) Thank you, Yasti. And and the writing credits, like I said, is the director, Vladimir Johansson, and uh, Sion, who is a one-named... Sjön. Oh, Sjön? No, I just made that up. Okay. (laughs) So, uh, we all saw this movie, all of us have, and... uh, it's safe to say that this movie is going to be polarizing. Where do you sit on the polarity of it? You know, I was, I've been waiting to discuss this one. And um, Okay, so we just talked about The Starling, mm-hmm. which is about loss of a child. And mm-hmm. I think this is very apt that we've put this one in the same show. Because for me, this is also about mm-hmm. the grief of losing a child. Um, I have to say... If you view it through the lens of it being a fable and you are not averse to challenging movies, I love this movie. I thought this was so interesting. Um, and I can tell from the look of the look on Joe's face again, <laughs> like it's that 
I took a photo of that face last week, so I know what his reaction is going to be. I thought this was a very well put together, well acted. It's so sparse on dialogue and everything is conveyed um, by these three actors who do a terrific job. Um, I was worried at the beginning, I actually put in my notes, um, will this make me vegetarian? Um, But luckily, I don't think it will. But there's a lot of cute sheep um, running around. So the sheep are really cute and fun to watch. Um, I, I, I mean, we can talk more about this. I, I really like this movie. I love this movie. I think Joe. (laughs) 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 So, okay. And the reason you're, you're looking at me that way is, you know, generally speaking, um, you know, when it, when a movie kind of breaks from convention and does, you know, goes off the beaten path in terms of, you know, expectations and, and how it's constructed, it, it tends to rub me the wrong way. And um, I won't say this movie didn't do that because honestly, um, it it's, it's so sparse in its explanation of the events that I think, um, you know, you have to kind of step away and think, well, what, what are they, what, what is this a metaphor for? What is this, trying to say what's the message behind the movie and and I don't think I got it so I'll I'll say right off the bat I can't say that I really understood it's a WTF movie for me for sure uh, but that's not to say I didn't enjoy it I was very intrigued by the whole setup the movie t- is, is a really slow burn it takes its time to build its sense of place you get to know the characters through um you know their their actions um there's a wonderful brother-in-law character that comes in and that has almost one of the first full sentences of dialogue in the movie which had me literally giggling for about five minutes after he, he that's right he, after he, he sees what after, he does after he, he just he's, he comes in and he observes what's going on and then he goes you know WTF is this yeah, or something like that. But um, anyway, I, I found that hilarious because it, it, it expressed my sentiments at the time as well. Um, so it's a difficult movie. Um, I can't say I, I, I could recommend it to people, but I didn't hate it. It's I, I, I don't think I got it. It's, and and that, that's the thing. I don't get it. When, it, when I don't get something, I can't, I, I find it hard to like. So what I'll say first off the bat is that people should not watch the trailer because the trailer gives away a major reveal, which the slow burn of a movie is headed towards. Uh, And unfortunately, I had seen the trailer. I I didn't seek it out. I think I saw it when I went to see some other movie. But that that reveal, which happens at the 40-minute mark or so, is so potent that, you know, having known where you're headed kind kind of almost ruined it for me. So what I will say is I think A24 can do no wrong. They have now made two of my favorite movies, The Green Knight and then this one. I really like this movie. And I liked it for all the reasons you did not. I it, After I finished watching the movie, I was like, so what is my takeaway? What exactly happened? And I think it's very smart. And ret- now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, why should the movie give us all the answers? Why can't it just say... This is something we have made in a very particular cultural context, right? This is this is in a particular part of Iceland, which is ridden with its own folklore and its own imagery and its own sense of morality. Is this a commentary on, you know, humans trying to better nature? Is it about 
there's a hundred things you can think about, and that there's that one scene at the very end, which is a literalization of what I thought was going on in her head. So I don't even know what is imagined, what is real, but I think the movie is better for it because I'm still talking about it. And like you said, I, based on the trailer, fully expected this to be some kind of a sheep's gone wild movie where sheep start killing people. <laughs> and I should, this is not a horror movie Correct. at all. And it's not sheep's gone, sheeps, I keep saying, sheep gone wild. Um, but what it is, is so beautiful and it's so graceful and it's so tender. They, there isn't much information in the movie that this couple has lost a child, but I inherently, implicitly believe something was off from the very beginning. And there's one scene where, you know, they visit a cemetery where it kind of, okay, locks that down. But I fully believe these characters. And why didn't I, why didn't I believe them in Starling? I don't know. I don't know what voodoo it is, but I cannot for the life of me believe that this is the directorial debut of somebody. It's so assured. There's a sense of dread. Um, just out of ordinary events happening out, I, I was genuinely anxious, you know, when certain things happen, when the kid goes missing, when the brother-in-law shows up and there is at any point, there's foreboding. Seems, there's a lot of foreboding. Yeah. At yeah. any at any given of given moment, it's it feels like this is going to get horribly violent any minute, or this is going to go horribly wrong. And I think my joy while I was watching the movie was like, oh, this is not the movie I had signed up for at all. But whatever else this other thing is, surprised me because it <laughs> was so unpredictable. So yeah, I, really I, I it. took it as like this is very metaphorical. Um, is it about the pollution that man creates? Mm -hmm. And in the end, that pollution that we create in the world comes back to bite you in some way. And I think it's also about the human spirit and recovering from grief and how we personify our pets and mm -hmm. what they mean to us and how um, we have an ability to love enormously if we let ourselves so I think for me, there was a lot of this underlying stuff, but I think ultimately it's a fable, right? It's about mm -hmm. something that does something <laughs> and then something results from it and then what happens and then how it claims it back in a way. Yeah. Um, the, the, the things that we love aren't always ours to keep mm -hmm. and that you have to let them go, yeah. that we all make mistakes there's so much in this. Sure. And and I think, you know, but you have to unpack it. And I think... Correct. Um, look, I mean, the fact that I feel that this movie uh, leaves a lot unsaid and uh, leaves you to interpret is, you know, that's the artistry of it. I don't think it would have been enhanced by saying the things that were unsaid mm -hmm. um, because it wouldn't. I mean, I think this has to occupy that space in your, in your mind versus, um, you know, the mind of the filmmaker. Like you, you know, nothing to do with the movie, but you know, the, the, the thing that you don't see is always more frightening. Um, and, you know, I feel like the choice made at the end of the movie where I, I do think it, Again, don't want to say spoilery, but Yazdi, you said this isn't a horror. This movie has um, some horrific elements to it that mm -hmm. would put me 
squarely in the category of maybe psychological horror, not necessarily like, you know, slasher horror, mm -hmm. but this is definitely in a genre that is, um, you know, let's, let's, let's not call it horror gore, but let's call it horror enormous discomfort for Joe kind of thing. Mm. So, yeah. I mean, I think something like Midsummer, and I mentioned that because it's also got that kind of, you know, Nordic Icelandic, too. Nordic type of feel. It, yeah, that but, was scarier than this, I would say. Midsummer was. Yeah. Um, and this isn't, uh, this is challenging in a different way. I think this is a gentler film. Yes. Oh, no, for sure. Was. Well, it, it is and it's not. And, you know, <laughs> it it isn't and it's not in parts, for sure. Uh, but I think if I was writing a script, I wouldn't have the spine to leave so many open-ended questions like this movie does. It just presents with a set of events. Something terrible happens and the movie ends. And it's absolutely the right thing to do because I'm, I'm thinking like you, is it about humans being so arrogant to think that because we are bigger and stronger than other species that we can just subdue them? And that eventually, like you said, it's nature's going to come back and we are not bigger than nature. So it, it gets to these big themes mm. and so effortlessly. And I also love that for that hour and a half, I was lost in that world. Me I was too. not in San Diego, in my house, watching a movie on my television screen. I was there with them, what they did and how they, what they ate and how they worked. And it was just so immersive and experience that I, it, it was just uh, yeah it was it was great I loved it okay let's but, sum this one up you know I think people always complain that there are no good movies and there's nothing challenging and it's the same tired stuff over and over I say check out this movie and don't watch the trailer try not to read up about it, it it's a different experience it's being immersed in a fairy tale from another country. That's pretty much what it is. And it leaves you with a lot of things to think about. It's exquisitely acted. I never doubted any of those three characters. So good. Half a second. Yeah. I believed that they have spent all their lives pulling sheep out of pregnant ewes. Ewes, yes. I mean, um, it's so natural, it's so graceful, it's also very cruel, and it has so much to say. Eight and a half out of ten, which I'm going to back down to an eight, but I think towards the end of the year, this might become a nine. I just thank God for people who are making movies like this, otherwise I'd go be bored out of my head. Okay, let's sandwich Joe in the middle. <laughs> you know, you reminded me a couple of the scenes where um, I don't think, I think the things that were filmed were were real. Mm -hmm. um, I don't. I think when when a lamb was born, a lamb was born. You know. I think when a lamb um, had its you know ears clipped as they do <gasps> in on farms, the lamb had its ears clipped. So um, there, there's a a gritty reality to to some of those moments. Um, but you know, again, going back to my sum up. Um, yeah. Look, I mean. Just because I struggled to understand didn't mean I didn't appreciate the artistry here. And I think, um, you know, unlike you yesterday, I don't know that I'm going to spend a lot of time thinking about what mm. this all was, um, because you know, I'll, I'll take I'll take it at face value and say, well, they didn't answer my question, and you know, <laughs> but it, it was an intriguing film. Um, 
it's one that I really am going to struggle to recommend to anybody other than serious film geeks. And I think, um, yeah, I, I tend to think of, um, you know, film viewers as, you know, you have the, the, the folks that will, will struggle to, to experience the new and the folks that just want to see a good kind of story from A to B. And I, I, I straddle the two of you in, in that regard. So I'm going to give it, give it a seven. It's a very generous seven um, because I did, I did really enjoy the moment of it. Just, um, I really, I wish, I wish I knew really what it was about. Somebody needs to fill in the gaps for me. <laughs> I love this movie. Um, easily an eight out of 10 for me. Wow. Yeah. And I, you reminded me of something which I was going to mention, and I'm going to be careful because it's spoilery, but you know, remember how we, we all complained about, um, the bird and the starling being mm-hmm. so CGI. One of the characters in this movie is clearly as as clear as day CGI. Okay, there is no other way, right? And yet I believe that. I believed that character. Yes. And two, he, actually, but. Yes, yes. Well, the second one, not as much. But yeah, I believed their child. I believed their child. And it, I, even as I knew it, very front of my face that this is CGI. So I think, I, I don't know what it is, something ineffable that some filmmakers are just able to ground their films where you believe them. So. Well, well, I think there's a difference if you accept a movie as a fable versus a sure. feature narrative, right? And so we expect from Starling for it to be a feature narrative. And we don't expect this kind of cutesy, almost chintzy little bird flying around. Right. Whereas in this one, we're accepting that. And so I think... No, but to, that makes us ready for it in a sense. But to Yati's point, I think this is a, a good example of less is more. I mm-hmm. think there was too much starling. Correct. And here we too didn't, much bird. Yeah, but in in this movie we didn't quite get enough lamb. Yeah. And so you know, the, it that, was very sparse. Yeah. Right. So those little moments um, were were inherently more believable because you know it, it wasn't overdoing it. Yeah. So, anyway, it's again, really think, good movie. You know, not not a film school person, but. I really feel that this movie succeeded in what was cut from it. Yeah. And, um, you know. That's... I, I would definitely think this is going to be on some award award love. It's the best foreign film yeah, candidate for definitely, sure. Definitely. For sure. Yeah. Even even I can see that. All right. Um, MeloMovieWallers.com, Twitter.com slash MovieWallers, Facebook.com slash MovieWallers as well. Um let us know what you think of these movies. Um, and um, yeah, are they as controversial to you as they were for us? Um, we'd love to hear from you. So until our next podcast, too many movies, too little time. A goodbye from me. And me. And me as well.